What is up, everybody? Thank you for joining me on the CSG Special. Before we get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines. Located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Moisey, in the middle of the Dairy Block, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field. Uh, it is absolutely, you know, it... Wine is an experience, and I'm, I'm going to sound like one of those wine snobs, but it really is. It's it's uh, there's a reason it is so revered in in Europe and specifically in Italy and France. Um, it it is it's just it's a great thing to go out and experience and, and have a great conversation with friends, and that's uh, one of the reasons I enjoy it so much. And one of the best places in Denver to have that experience is Blanchard Family Wines. Uh, I went in there a couple of months ago and really enjoyed myself. Enjoyed myself <laughs> tremendously, actually. I went with a friend, and uh, we both have become committed. Uh, and I don't uh, support anything on this podcast unless I believe in it. Um, great Pinot, great uh, Cabernet Blend, uh, Rosé, Whites. Um, it is. Uh, they have their own vine- vineyard, which is located in the Russian River Valley in uh, the near the uh, Napa Valley in California, and uh, look, they specialize in pin- Pinot there, I mean, that, that, that's what you're going to get there, but it's good stuff, and if you enjoy the experience of wine, I would highly suggest you go there, uh, you don't get this experience very often in Denver, uh, once again, Blanchard Family Wines, they are on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines, they are located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, right in the middle of the dairy block just a couple blocks away from Coors Field. When you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you. Once again, what is up, everybody? Thank you for listening uh, to this CSG special. Uh, this is part three of my look at the Bino and Lee uh, ownership of the Denver Nuggets. Um, this part in, spe- in particular is going to deal with, this is the saddest part of the Bino Lee experience and, and ComSat. Um, this, uh, when you look back on this, the whole ComSat Bino Lee experience was only just a little over two years. Um, but it fundamentally set back the franchise and one could argue set back the uh, course of African American ownership of pro sports teams, um, and very sadly, um, and things in 1991 were coming to an ugly, ugly head. Uh, in a very short matter of time, uh, Robert Wessler Jr., who uh, was the head of Comsat, the CEO of Comsat, and uh, Peter Bino, who was the titular lead of the Bino and Lee. Uh, end of the bargain and the organ ownership were openly fighting uh, over who would control the team. Uh, and this makes, you know, as, as, as much as we criticize uh, Peter Bino and Bertram Lee about their ownership experience or time with the team, Robert Wessler Jr. was just as complicit in making the franchise just a chaotic mess. Uh, the Nuggets came off a 21 season in the offseason of 1991, which was, by the way, and when I say that this was one of the most embarrassing seasons in Nuggets history, it is amazing they won 20 games. They played no defense. Paul Westhead was not suited for the NBA, um, particularly his system. Um, 
Orlando Woolridge was the leading scorer of this Nuggets team, and it was just by volume. <laughs> it, it's amazing. And plus, uh, uh, Michael Adams had probably his career, his career, his last year in Denver, had a career year, and it actually got him a pretty nice contract in uh, Milwaukee. But he really, this really was a highly embarrassing year. They had a period at the middle of the season where they won a bunch of like like four like four to six games where they should probably shouldn't have won them, and that kind of boosted their record. But this really was a four, 12 to fourteen win team. Uh, this team featured very prominently Joe Wolf. So uh, shout out to the to the Wolf Pack. Um, Meanwhile, up in the executive suite, things were getting worse and worse. Um, to explain the dynamic, when you have two people who, quote, own a team and yet don't necessarily have the capital to own the team, they end up living on the graces of the team, of what the team would be able to provide them. Uh, Peter Bino had some money and was able to fulfill some of his ob- obligations. Uh, Bertram Lee was not. Bertram Lee misrepresented what he had in terms of capital. And very sadly, in 1991, he ended up being evicted from his Denver apartment. Uh, an owner of a professional sports team evicted from his apartment. Uh, it was one of those moments that uh, you would... It was surreal, I was put it to you that way. Uh, I don't think that has ever happened any other time in uh, pro sports ownership history. There have been several Denver owners that couldn't really afford to own a team. Uh, Bob Housem, the first owner of the Denver Broncos, could not really afford to run a, a professional sports team and didn't own them long. Uh, same thing with Bill, uh, Ringsby, who owned the Denver Nuggets to start when they first started in the ABA. Um, Ringsby also had some other issues. And by the way, uh, Nick Cosmider wrote a very, very good article on Spencer Haywood and his only season with the Denver Nuggets. I digress, but it's a great article. I would look it up, um, right now. It was great stuff. Um, so they became, this team became a joke and the office front office was a joke and it was getting back to David Stern. David Stern had kept an eye on it because he is the one let's be 100% honest here. David Stern was the one who ramrodded this deal through and it was a personal, he had personal vested interest in it and it was becoming clear once Carl Shear uh, quit as team president that things were going really, really sideways. Uh, and after Peter Bino was evicted from his apartment, it was becoming clear Bino was no long was short, shortly not going to be owning any part of this Denver Nuggets team. Um, in yeah, let's see, it, as things progressed, Stern made a panic call and. From all accounts that I've heard, it was a panicked call to Tim Liewiecki, who then was with the Minnesota Timberwolves, and said, I need your help. 
Uh, LiWiki uh, did a great job establishing the Minnesota Timberwolves franchise in 1988, steadied the ship, and um, really had become unknown in NBA circles as a guy who could get, get stuff done. Um, was very well known for this, and he uh, was squarely in the good graces of the uh, front offices of the NBA, particular David Stern, who saw that he could be a fixer. Well, the Denver Nuggets badly needed a fixer. And uh, through some various machinations that I won't go into, but he eventually ended up on the Denver Nuggets in 1991 and immediately began to uh, make several adjustments to the team, um, focusing in on entertainment. Uh, if anyone knows anything about the Denver Nuggets, at, at post-ABA days, they became a very bland uh, entertainment team as far as in-game entertainment. Um, the Nuggets were known for not having a mascot uh, up until 1990. Uh, in 90, Rocky, Rocky the Mountain Lion came. But he really wasn't used in 90-91 the way that you would say use your normal team mascot. In 91, Tim Liewicki came in and says, no, no, this team is bad. We need, we need a reason for people to show up. And my friend Andy Feinstein has always said there were, there were years, and this is absolutely true, I watched this team during this period, there were years when Rocky was the only reason to go to the arena. Uh, it was that bad. And Rocky, uh, really under Tim Liewicki, became... Uh, that focal point and, be, and then develop that personality. And uh, he, Liwicky really, really had the vision to turn Denver into, uh, particularly the Nuggets, into a more entertaining product for the people who were going and paying for tickets going to McNichols Arena. Tickets were a lot cheaper back then, but you got not, not, no reason to go to a game if the product was crap. And then 91, 92... The product was garbage. Um, the Nuggets managed to win four more games, but the executive suite was still really bad. Robert Wessler was actively interfering in with the Nuggets. And uh, a couple of people described Wessler to me as an arrogant a-hole. <laughs> no one liked dealing with him. No one in the Denver media liked dealing with him. Um, and... Say to not to say the least about Peter Bino, who people described exactly the same way. Uh, both men just couldn't get along, and it started to interfere with team operations. Um, there were a couple of people who I spoke to about their time there who said that that there were some irregularities and some expenses that people didn't know about. Things were kind of. I don't want you know. I, I, it's it's not. I'm not going to sit here and say I know enough to accuse anyone, but there were some irregularities on some finances, and it was clear that Bertram Lee needed to be booted out. So Bert, Bertram Lee was booted out of the partnership, and meanwhile, Peter Bino uh, began selling off some of his shares to. As, as junk bonds to uh, or junk stock it's one of those it's one of those terms to friends of his in Chicago uh, because he himself needed capital um, it uh, was clear that even though he had more money than 
Bertram Lee, he didn't have much more. And it was becoming 100% clear that things were not going to work out. Meanwhile, over at Comset Video Entertainment, Video Entertainment, la 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 la, Comset Video Enterprises, there we go, um, that Robert Wessler wasn't long for that company. Uh, the, the, there were some incidents within the company that the shareholders were not thrilled with. They were still not happy that Wessler managed to buy into uh, the, the Nuggets. They had no interest in owning sports teams. Um, thought that they were dragging them down. And it became, Wessler became the focus of their ire. And he was, wasn't a great, you know, wasn't a good man to get along with anyway, and it just got worse. Um, and everything coalesced in 19... After the 91-92 season, the Nuggets had drafted uh, Dikembe Mutombo in 1991. Like I said, they managed to win four more games, but it was clear that Paul Westhead was just an incompetent coach. <clears throat> Everyone knew it. Even Bernie Bickerstaff, who hired Paul Westhead, knew that it just wasn't going to work anymore. So, uh, in the offseason in 1992, everything happened. E, the uh, Peter Bino, uh, Bertram Lee was out. Peter Bino uh, quietly, and I do mean quietly, exited the Nuggets partnership. And Robert Wessler Jr. was uh, booted out as, as CEO of Comset. And the Nuggets were ostensibly without an owner aside from Tim Lywicki, who is running them as team president. Um, it was a... Uh, Weird time. Uh, the the Bernie Bickerstaff was what left to run the actual basketball operations, and Dan Issel was hired. Um, they they drafted Lafonso Ellis and Bryant Stith, and the t- actual team's fortunes began ironically to turn around once Bino and Lee and Robert Wessler were out of the picture, uh, and it. Really, really began in the in the off season, the summer of 1992, when with the drafting, the hiring of Issel, the uh, uh, Bernie Bernie Bickerstaff, um, actually, you know, for the brief time in his running the Denver Nuggets, became the uh, you know he really became a guy who had an eye for talent for a very brief period of time, and that that miracle 90, 1994 Nuggets team began to take shape. Uh, but it would not have, I am convinced of this, it would not have happened if Bino Lee and uh, Robert Wessler were still prominently featured on the team. Um, and it's very sad. One of the saddest um, episodes of Denver sports, and maybe all of the NBA, um, something that could have been and should have been a historical moment turned into a complete disaster. Um, it was such a disaster that uh, when David Stern retired in uh, 2014, it was not mentioned once that he was the responsible for bringing in the first ever African-American professional sports owners in the United States. Think about that. It was such a historical, meaningful moment. Ended up being such a disaster but it wasn't mentioned when David Stern was retiring. 
And it had more to do with than just being the fact that the Denver, it was the Denver Nuggets. It was the fact that the, the deal should have never happened the way it was constructed. The deal should have never happened once Sidney Schlanker said, you guys don't have the money, I can't sell this to you. Um, at that moment in October of 1989, when Sidney Schlenker canceled the deal, that should have been it. Um, ramrodding and railroading this through did nothing for them, uh, did nothing for Wessler. Uh, Comsat, their history with the team, in, in 1990, I think it was 93, they divested themselves completely from the pro sports teams and formed something called Ascent Entertainment Group. And Ascent Entertainment Group was supposed to uh, be their subsidiary. They owned, quote-unquote, owned the Denver Nuggets for a a couple of years before they sold to Liberty Media. And Liberty um, didn't want anything to do with owning a professional sports team. Think about the Denver Nuggets in the 1990s. They had Peter Bino, Bertram Lee, and uh, Robert Wessler. They, then they had Comsat solely owning them after Comsat bought out uh, Peter Bino in 1992. Comsat solely owned them. Didn't want anything to do with owning a professional sports team, so they divested it and turned it into Ascent. Ascent did a good job through uh, Tim Liewiecki, um from about 93 to 95 of owning the Denver Nuggets. Liwicky leaves in 95, uh, Charlie Lyons takes over, and uh, the team immediately, it was basically known immediately that no one at Ascent really wanted to still own a professional sports team. They invested in Air Force One, managed to get the Pepsi Center built, uh, bring the Avalanche, uh, which was a Tim Liwicky thing, uh, bring the Avalanche over, and uh, do all of that, then immediately put the teams up for sale and the Pepsi Center. The Nuggets' ownership situation did not resolve itself until 2000. Eleven years after they were first sold, put up for, um, sold by Sidney Schlenker. Um, and from about 1997 to 2000, the Nuggets went through four, excuse me, three potential owners. One of them, for sure, acted as the owner, Donald Sturm. It was just, and imagine trying to run a professional sports team when you have no idea who you're, who's going to be owning your team. It, 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 that would be completely untenable. Um, and as you know, we have our complaints about Stan Kroenke, but as soon as he bought the Nuggets, things stabilized. And he has owned the team since 2000. We're coming up on 20 years since Stan Kroenke bought the Denver Nuggets. Think about that. And then think about the 10 years after Peter Bino and Bertram Lee. The, the, the 11 years after they had that, that historic press conference at the Waldorf Astoria in, in, in New York announcing that they were the first ever minority owners of a professional sports team. And two years later when both Bino and Lee are out of the NBA because they couldn't own the teams because they couldn't afford to own the team. And it was, I don't think, I don't, I don't know how anyone's best interests were served by this arrangement. It was a black eye for David Stern, one he has yet to answer for. 
Uh, of all the mistakes David Stern has made, two of them are very prominent on my list. Uh, one of them was moving the uh, Seattle Supersonics in a really deceitful way from Seattle to Oklahoma City. The other one is not making sure Peter Bino and Bertram Lee could own a professional sports team before he sold it to them. And having his ego tied up into whether the deal worked or not. It set the Nuggets back for 10 years. It's amazing that the Nuggets were able to have that brief, and I do mean brief, run of success from 94 in 94. It's just, it's amazing. Against all odds, against indifferent ownership, against all of that, they managed to have one of the most miracle, the the biggest miracles in NBA history. It's a shame. This could have been done better. It could have been done better by Stern, and it could have been, you know, just, it, it should have been different, and it wasn't. And it set back a lot of issues uh, with minority ownership in uh, the country. And it really didn't, and still not anywhere near it needs to where it needs to be right now. You know, you look at those owners' boxes, there's a lot of white faces. You need, and this tech country desperately needs, more ownership of African Americans in, 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 in sports. Uh, you know, Hispanic uh, Asian, as everyone who needs, there needs to be that much more representation of my of uh, minorities in this country who own professional sports teams. Right now, it's just a bunch of white guys who are rich. Well, obviously, they need to be rich. But you think back in 1989 and what the landscape looked back then, it was just this moment, a gigantic moment of history that was completely squandered, and it and it didn't do. Bino and Lee any good to have them prop up an ownership that, let's face it, shouldn't have existed anyway because they couldn't have the money. And it got the Nuggets into uh, 11 years of absolute ownership hell. It's amazing. All right, well, thank you for joining me on this journey of the Peter Bino, Bertram Lee ownership of the Denver Nuggets. Uh, I did skip over a lot. Uh, there is so much to cover with this, but I, I gave you the, the best overview I could in podcast form. Um, let me know if you want more of these CSG specials. Uh, next week, or the next podcast, I'm going to return with more general Denver Nuggets news. Uh, on Monday, as of this recording, so Monday the 30th, the Nuggets will have media day, so I will try to get some interviews for CSG. Uh, on for media day so be on the lookout for that thank you all for joining me i hope you enjoyed the show see you see you later bye